I will speak to you in the name of the living God who was and is and is to come, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. There once was a time not so long ago when Audrey and I were able to watch a lot of television. We sort of still do when we have the time and the energy, but how we watch things on television has greatly been altered as our daughter Aoife has gotten older. Now that she's nearing six years old and has developed more prowess with the television's remote controls than we ever imagined possible, she pretty much controls the one and only television we have in our home. And it really isn't that Aoife actually even watches a lot of television all that much. It's just that when she's drawing at her table in the living room or she's playing on the floor or even looking at a book on the couch, Aoife likes for kids shows to be playing somewhere in the background. And I guess because Audrey and I tend to watch shows that aren't really cartoons and don't really have princesses or unicorns within them, we tend to let Aoife just control the background noise whenever she is in the living room. So what that means for the adults in the family is that we tend to either not watch anything on television at all during the daytime hours, that's me, or we watch our shows on our iPhone in other parts of the house, that's Audrey, mostly watching old episodes of Grey's Anatomy on her iPhone. For me, I guess, television has become something that I watch later in the evening after Aoife has gone to bed. And it's become just a handful of shows that I tend to record so that I can watch them whenever I have the time or the energy to stay awake. One of the shows I've come to watch that Audrey does not at all understand, nor does she want to understand, is the, Dis is the Discovery, see I almost said the Disney Channel. That's how in tune I am. The Discovery Channel series, The Curse of Oak Island. Now if you've never heard of this particular show, it goes something like this. For the last eight years, it has been about two brothers who are searching for a lost treasure that is supposedly buried somewhere on a tiny island off the Canadian coast of Nova Scotia. There are lots of legends about Oak Island that go back for centuries. And to watch this particular series is to hear all kinds of crazy theories about what and who has been part of the Oak Island mystery. Everyone from Spanish and British soldiers during the colonial period to those mysterious Knights Templar from Europe and the Middle East have been said to have visited this island to hide their greatest treasures. And the treasures supposedly waiting at the bottom of the lost money pit, money pit on Oak Island might just be anything from golden coins and ancient manuscripts to the lost items once contained in the great temple of Solomon, like the golden menorahs or even the lost Ark of the Covenant. I think it sounds pretty cool myself. Well, my rational wife does not agree with me. For Audrey, it's an hour-long show about two guys and their team digging in the mud, always finding absolutely nothing. And I have to admit, they certainly have not found much over the last eight years. They've literally discovered one interesting cross medallion. They found a few scraps of old paper deep in the earth. They found a few old coins and a couple fragments of possible human bones. 
And that's it. So for Audrey, it's the biggest waste of time to watch these guys year after year think they're getting close to something only to end the season again with finding next to nothing. But for me, there's always hope that on that very next episode, they might finally dig the right hole in the right place and find something incredible. And just like my good old friend Indiana Jones, if one of those lost items buried on Oak Island could possibly be the real lost Ark of the Covenant from the time of Moses, King David, and King Solomon, then I'm probably going to keep watching it. That is, at least after Aoife and my wife go to bed and I'm alone with final full control over the television. And this morning, believe it or not, the final Sunday that we've arrived at in the season of Advent again, we are actually, I believe, catching our own glimpse of that elusive Ark of the Covenant from the ancient biblical era. It ain't exactly what Indiana Jones or the Oak Island guys are searching for. But for us in the church, it is a very important re-understanding of that which God chooses to bear his word and to give new birth to the promise of our salvation for all. Just to remind you of exactly what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the Ark of the Covenant, that Ark first appears in the Jewish Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. After Moses has ascended Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments a second time, the covenant was then placed in a special box that was laid out by God, a box that's constructed of wood, plated with pure gold, and covered with a golden lid. The great lid of the Ark of the Covenant had two cherubims sculpted in pure gold, the Bible says, both with their wings extended on either side. The ark was to be the most holy item for the ancient Israelites, placed always within the holy of holies of the first Jewish tent tabernacle and then later passed on to Solomon's temple. The top portion of the ark with the two cherubim was called the mercy seat and God was believed to be seated above that mercy seat at all times in the holy of holies. As God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 25 verse 22, There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Covenant, I will deliver to you all my commands for the Israelites. Now, the ancient Israelites would carry the Ark of the Covenant with them as they moved around throughout the promised land until the line of kings was established and Jerusalem became the center of Israel as it still is today. It is there that we find King David this morning in our first reading from 2 Samuel. King David, who has finally finished all of his great battles and built for himself a great house as a king, begins to consider for the first time where he is and where the ark of God is. And so he calls to the prophet Nathan and he says to Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar. But the ark of God stays in a tent. It is really from that moment that David begins to set into motion for the first time the building up of what will become the great temple for God in Jerusalem. 
a proper place, David believes, to give God in the ark on which the Israelites believed God was seated, a way to draw all of the unified Israel to God to worship and to make the proper sacrifices. But when God catches wind of this, 2 Samuel says, he calls on Nathan to tell David that God has a different plan for where his holy house will be. God is already beginning to reveal in this passage that he sees his holy temple as someplace very different from simple earth and wood and stone. God is seeing his home within the line and lineage of King David and within the temple that will be the body of that lineage. So David never builds that temple. It will be David's son Solomon who finally constructs it. And within the temple, The ark, which contained the covenant between God and God's people, is forever placed. That is, until the time of the last Davidic king in the Old Testament, King Zedekiah, nearly 500 years later. That's when the Babylonians will invade Jerusalem, they will tear down the temple, and they will either destroy the ark of the covenant, or they will carry it away with them to Babylon during the exile of the people of Judah. It's at this point that the Ark of the Covenant becomes lost from us forever. That is, unless the Knights Templar found it during the Crusades and carried it to a Canadian island to bury it there. Could be, never know. But 500 years on, after that loss of the Ark in Babylon, for the new Jewish movement that is rising up from the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that lost Ark will begin to be reimagined. It will reemerge, taking a new form. And for those members of the newborn church, it all will begin for them with this story we just heard this morning from the Gospel of Luke. Now, this is one of those gospel stories that we've all heard dozens of times, the story of the Annunciation, when a young woman engaged to a man who just happens to be from the house and lineage of King David, suddenly finds herself standing in front of a great archangel. The word angelos in Greek actually means messenger. And so the great angelos Gabriel is carrying to Mary a powerful, overwhelming message that is coming to her directly from God. The message is that this young Jewish girl who has never been married before, nor has she ever known a man, is going to be suddenly overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit and is going to give birth to a son whose name will be Jesus. Now, we've all seen this portrayed in dozens of cute Christmas plays and pageants. But what we probably miss in all of that is the incredibly important proclamation that actually comes from the word of the angel. The angel says to Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. It is this young Jewish woman then who is finally reconnecting that lost line of kingship promised by God to David in that first reading we heard from 2 Samuel. It's coming to a new child that she herself is going to carry and bring into the world. For that child, as we will hear on Christmas Day, will be nothing less than the Word of God incarnate, who was with God and who was God from the very beginning. Whereas then the first covenant between God and God's people 
was made through the laws given to Moses and the kingship established by King David. This new covenant about to be established through the son of Mary will be made straight by the very incarnation of the word of God in Jesus Christ. Now, for the early church, the blessed Virgin Mary, the very woman proclaimed by the angel of the Lord as the most highly favored of God's people, becomes what is known as the Theotokos, which literally means from the Greek God-bearer. So just as the Ark of the Covenant once carried the handwriting of God on the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, this newly formed Ark, blessed Mary of Nazareth, would now carry the Word of God in herself in the form of a newly conceived son. And she would carry the Word And when the word was born, after it was placed in the manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, the word would then grow up sitting on top the lap of his holy mother with her two arms outstretched to hold him and to comfort him. Early Christians would instantly make that connection between the image of the old ark and the cherubim with the lap of Mary as a new mercy seat, that place on which God would again be seated in this new covenant established by Emmanuel, who is God with us. And so the words God spoke to King David through the prophet Nathan were heard again, reinterpreted in the way God must have truly intended them a thousand years before. For God said to David through Nathan, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. The Lord will make you a house, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So that new house being made for David and for the people of Israel and Judah and for the entire world was to be finally this little baby, this son of God born from the womb of the God-bearer, the Blessed Virgin Mary. She is the new ark and that great temple that would draw all the people to come home was and is and will always be Jesus, the child first placed inside her ark at the moment of Annunciation when Mary replied to the angel Gabriel, yes, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be unto me according to thy will. So with all of that said, I'll be honest with you, I'll probably still take an hour out of my week ever so often to find out if that first Ark of the Covenant might actually be buried on a small island in Nova Scotia. But let me say that to be a Christian is to already have the knowledge of where the Ark of the Covenant always will be located. Its mercy seat, brothers and sisters, was the lap of a mother, and its Ark was a young woman's womb that carried within it the Word of God made flesh in Jesus Christ. And for that, my friends, the prayer that we've been saying in this church for the last three Fridays as we've prayed together the rosary, I think, makes absolute and total sense when we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen.